Welcome back to Season 2 of Keeping Up with the Constitution, a podcast hosted by University of Malaya, Constitute, bringing you a simple dissection of the Malaysian Constitution. My name is Kamalin and I will be your host for today. In our sixth episode today, we will be discussing women in politics. Malaysia is one of just 25 countries in the world where women do not have the same rights as men when it comes to conferring nationality on your offspring. This is despite the fact that our federal constitution prohibits discrimination against people on the basis of religion, race, ethnicity, place of birth, or gender, pursuant to Article 8 of the federal constitution. The Association of Family Support and Welfare Selangor and Kuala Lumpur, also known as the Family Frontiers, is an umbrella organization for the Foreign Spouses Support Group. They have long advocated for the gender equality in citizenship laws in Malaysia. Moreover, in order to uphold the principle of equality in the federal constitution as well as Malaysia's commitment to international gender equality conventions, the Family Frontiers have filed a lawsuit in December last year. So there have also been many attempts to grant women their equal rights done by the NGOs. Therefore, this shows that there is a rising concern on how women are not giving an equal chance and equal rights as men when it, when it involves decision making. So today I have with me Ms. Abinaya Divya Mohan, the head of campaigns in the Women's Aid Organization, also known as WAO. Welcome Ms. Abinaya. Hi Kamalin, thank you so much for having me. All right, thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Okay, so I'll just start off with the question. Okay, so to start off, uh, what is the female representation looking like in the political scene right now? Oh, <laughs> this is a very um, upsetting question, actually, because uh, to be very honest, I think it looks quite abysmal. Uh, only 15% of our parliamentary members are women, and that's something like 33 seats out of 222 seats in parliament. Um, and it's of course not a diverse representation. There are also less women in council seats, so like state legislative assemblies. I think the, the estimate is an average of 11.5% women occupying seats um, across uh, all the states. But of course this varies from state to state. Um, and this is far less than the 30% that was promised uh, in the, the previous general elections. Of course, you know, now we've um, come through several governments and several cycles, uh, but <laughs> it's actually very disappointing. And uh, not many may know, but Malaysia has actually acceded to the Convention on Elimination of um, uh, Equality Against Women. And, um, oh, sorry, I apologize. Uh, conventional Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, CEDAW. We don't want to eliminate equality, we want equality. Um, and in, in that convention, it actually states that we should have, uh, we should be working towards political representation of 30% to begin with, you know. Um, there's also limited representation in the political sphere in general. Uh, I feel that we don't see enough gender diverse political commentators, we don't see enough, you know, women analysts, women electoral activists, there are one or two, um, it's slowly growing, but it's definitely not enough, and it's definitely not diverse, we're not hearing enough voices from across Malaysia and across uh, different communities, including marginalised and vulnerable communities, um, and even if they are, they're not really given uh, the spotlight. Uh, some initiatives that are out there are working towards changing this um, 
you know, you have the 111 initiative and then you have a new initiative called Makar Kami. Um, so I do, I am a bit hopeful that um, this is, uh, there is growing change, um, but it is still very disappointing. Also very disappointing the fact that five out of 32 ministers are women, you know, um, and these are, you're talking about higher level um, women occupying positions uh, at a higher level. Uh, and there are just so few, uh, so few of us up there. Um, the perception of how women can participate in politics is very narrow and it's always linked to, uh, it's always stereotyped that we have certain roles to play. And these are always usually related to women's issues, you know, like um, ministers are always made either the minister of family, women, family, and, you know, uh, community development. And it's never, you know, never, never really made ministers the hard-hitting hard issues like the economy or finance. Um, yeah, so I, I would also say the failure to attain the minimum 30% representation of Malaysian legislature uh, cannot just simply be dismissed as a lack of capable or talented uh, women politicians. You know, it, it's a consequence of existing patriarchal structures, cis-hetero patriarchal structures um, and other power dynamics. And, you know, people will need to take this into consideration. Yes, I actually do agree with what, what you have actually stated. Um, as a woman myself, it's disappointing to see that our political spheres, there's not much woman participation in it. So, yeah, I really, really hope that we can engage in more women participation in our political um, sphere later on. All right, thank you for answering that. All right, so let's move on to the next question. Okay, so Malaysia was ranked 117 out of 100, 152 countries in a report by the World Economics Forum on female participation in politics. Countries that are ranked higher include Thailand, United Arab Emirates, and also Indonesia. So this is one of the indicators that shows that the presence of women in Malaysia's decision-making process is still far from satisfactory. So could you please give your thoughts on why it is significant for there to be a higher female representation in, female poli in Malaysian politics? Well, actually, it's quite interesting because I know we rank quite low uh, across the globe, um, but I think just generally around the world, there are very few countries that are actually achieving, um, like, 50% or more of women in Kevin. I think there's only like 14 countries. Um, so it's definitely something that needs to be worked on across the globe. Um, and, you know, I think it was UN Women that stated uh, that the annual increase of like, it's only 0.52 percentage um, <clears throat> is just not sufficient to reach gender parity and will only be achieved in 2077. And again, even in all of these countries, the most commonly held portfolios, like I mentioned, are family, children, youth, social affairs, roles that are seen to be quite stereotypical um, of women. You know, it's like very nurturing, very, um, you know, it's, it's us, again, caring for, for uh, the people, like for families. Uh, Malaysia is actually also the second or third lowest uh, in terms of women representation in Southeast Asia. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's really important that when, when you have gender responsive policies, you're able to look at how uh, issues affect different groups very, very structurally. You're able to look into in-depth um, policies that might affect voice, 
you know, that might affect women, that might affect girls, that might affect um, people in marginalized communities in like very structured, in a very structured manner. Um, and that's why it's really important, you know, to have uh, women, a lot more women um, in, in political power. Um, there also is, I believe, uh, there will be policies that will produce better protection for men and women because women understand vulnerability, protection, access to rights differently. Um, you know, the challenges we face when it comes to how afraid we are, or, you know, how just violence against women in general um, is very different from some of the experiences that men face. Of course, men also face violence, um, but, but this having this sort of, this idea, this angle, this experience uh, really makes for better policy making. Um, of course, the most important thing is representation, right? It empowers other women to sort of step up and step out and you know, the CU in position of power, um, they believe that they too can do it. They believe that, um, you know, the, the, this representation of course must be diverse, um, even in gender, you know, it's not just men and women, um, <clears throat> but it, it's really important that uh, female legislators um, step up so that their voices and their opinions matter and this impacts other women who will be more pushed to speaking out and voicing themselves. Yeah, so basically what you have stated was um, it's significant, it's very important to have women in our political um, making uh, decision making simply because women, they actually understand um, the point of view of a woman better than men. Like you wouldn't say yeah. that and doesn't understand the violence that we we have encountered, and I wouldn't say that men don't encounter any violence as well. But it's different for both genders, right? So having a more yeah. um, having more women in the political sphere would give a more a better point of view uh, for them to legislate and make laws that can protect the female more, right? Correct policies and also just understanding what. Uh, what is needed uh, by different groups. But also to add, I'm sorry, I know you're going to jump to the next question, but to add, um, it's really important that we have women of caliber, yeah, in these position of power, right? You don't want to just fill in. Um, <laughs> you just don't want people to represent because they're women. They have to be women of caliber, you know, they have That's to be invested in, in, the role they have to actually be ready to serve the community and society and not be interested in other aspects of uh, politics um, as we know you know the more the darker side of politics um, of course that will always be there but um, it's important to really uplift uh, women of caliber because you're setting a very good example for everybody else uh, you know both women and men who are growing up um, yeah yeah I actually do very agree with that it's important for you to empower other women as well. So because if we see that a lot more women are joining the politics, it might create, it might break the stereotypes that women cannot uh, involve in decision making. Yeah, so I believe that that's a very yeah. great, it's a very great idea and a very great opinion. All right, so moving on. In 2002, IDEAS, which is the Malaysian first think tank, conducted research on women in politics. The research was done a while ago, but their findings are still relevant in today's context. So ideas cited five factors that form obstacles to Malaysian women's active participation in politics. The five elements are as follows. Uh, sub the first one, subliminal discrimination against women. 
second being time constraint, thirdly, the notion that a woman's place at home, fourthly, natural apathy and aversion to political involvement, and lastly, lack of adequate resources. What are your thoughts on the factors aforementioned? Do you agree with them or do you think that there are more external factors that influence women involvement in politics? Um, well, I feel that some of these are, you know, of course, true. Uh, it's well-researched and it's still relevant to today. Um, you know, d discrimination against women is, is very obvious. It's what, you know, what a lot of women's organizations or just people in general, like women in general face on a daily basis. You know, you have women in the workplace, you face harassment in the workplace, you face harassment at home, harassment in the street, discrimination when you are applying for work. Right, you have pregnancy discrimination, you have um, discrimination for in, in when you're hoping to get promoted, um, and there are very few safeguards uh, to protect you from that. And this is, you know, the parliament or state legislative assemblies are not immune to these, right? Uh, I think our women parliamentarians are very blatantly discriminated against. There are a lot of sexist remarks being made in parliament, and the there's very little consequence um, that is faced by the, the other parliamentarians who are making these remarks, right? Which is essentially just allowing discrimination. Um, so definitely, I think that is still a relevant point. Um, you know, it, it possibly feels a lot harder um, because I think women tend to face a lot more scrutiny um, when they go into the public light uh, and it, you know, you're already discriminated in so many ways. So going into the public life, you're going to be, you're going to face a lot more discrimination. I don't know if that is everyone's cup of tea. You know, I think that's that's definitely a barrier to entry for women. Um, time constraints, absolutely. Uh, the burden of care, and I think this is a study that was done by Kazana Research. Um, Institute, and it was done actually before the pandemic, and it found that the burden of care um, was carried by women, I think, 64% more than men, and this is before the pandemic. Um, and you've had you have all this research coming out after, like, during the pandemic, but how how it has really uh, become a lot worse, and it's really multiplied. A lot of women had to leave their jobs um, to look after their families, look after elderly, to look after uh, their children or their, their sick spouses, um, you know, because again, uh, and I suppose this comes to, to, the, to the next point, right, where uh, women's places at home, you have this stereotype where the, the woman is the one who has to be nurturing or has to care for things. And um, there's this idea that is so ingrained uh, in society that that is the role of the woman, right? And, and men don't have to step up. I would like to think that uh, over the pandemic, because men also have been at home, um, they're slowly starting to share responsibilities. Um, I would hope, I hope that's happening. Uh, I think statistics possibly show otherwise, um, but this is definitely an important factor because you know when you're when you're working uh, and then you have to come home and you have to care for your family, where do you have time really? to uh, look after, I mean, to, to, to focus on policy or like to focus on serving your community. I think a lot of women can do it, um, but it is time constraint is a real issue. 
Um, and then, of course, I mentioned like the whole public versus private life, um, the idea that women shouldn't really occupy uh, or shouldn't be visible or occupy visible spaces is something we really must change as a society. Um, it's because of because of all the discrimination and violence against women, um, you know, even in online spaces, uh, we face rape threats, we face death threats, um, we face so many things, not just women, but like all genders, um, when we when we're speaking, when we voice our opinions and when we speak out. Um, <clears throat> that is a really big uh, consideration, I think, also, that sort of prevents prevents people from joining or going into a more public life. Um, I don't know about natural apathy and aversion to political involvement. Um, I, I think I, I think this comes back to representation and working on policies with a gender lens. And I think uh, a lot of times campaigns and manifestos don't always uh, understand or cater to issues that may affect women and families and we do make up 50% of the population right so a lot of these campaigns and issues are it, it it's made to seem that it doesn't affect this um, but the reality is that it does I mean you know you're talking about eliminating corruption um, all of this money that is being taken uh, away from our coffers could be put back into childcare support right could be put back into um reskilling, upskilling women to come back into the workforce. So these are all like, it, it's all interrelated. Um, and I feel like, I feel it's not that women are apathetic. It's just that there is very little beings that are done to engage uh, with these issues, the interests of women. Um, lack of adequate resources, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it costs you around 5,000, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for a state. Um, uh, to run for the state legislative assembly, I do, and it's five thousand ringgit, um, and you have to get. And this is a deposit that you put, and you have to get twelve point five percent of the total vote count um, to keep this. And if you get less than that, then you lose that money. And then, of course, you have campaign costs, right, which goes into like thousands. Um, and you have all of these combined with, uh, combined with the fact that we we're not seeing enough representation. Um, there is not enough faith. That women can be uh, in in politics, right? Or that women can be leading this um, leading this change in governance, um, then it, it becomes a vicious cycle, right? Because people are reluctant to invest. Um, women are reluctant to dip into their savings. You know, families are reluctant to dip into their savings um, to support another woman and just. I, you know, as a society, I think we are not yet, not yet very used to seeing women in, in high positions of power and leadership role. And that is changing slowly. But until that does, it's going to be very difficult to get the vote of confidence. Um, yeah, that education is also a very key barrier, I feel. Uh, in general, political awareness and voter education um, is important, but it also, you know, in schools and civic lessons, it doesn't tackle the importance of gender in like democratic practices, um, as it is uh, political awareness and like education is lacking. Um, but it it doesn't have that gender element, which is very important. Yeah, but um, 
sorry, <laughs> I, I just want to add one more thing is that it is quite funny that it's found um, that women are apathetic uh, or, you know, what is the term, averse to political involvement because in reality, a lot of the on-the-ground campaigning, particularly for parties with like deep-reaching deep machinery, uh, are run by women folk, right? They're the ones who go in the run-up to the elections, they go door-to-door to campaign. And so they're actually very well aware of the manifesto. They're very well aware of how to campaign um, and they really understand their vote. Um, and I, I'm inclined to thinking that it's because they haven't had the opportunity to, to, to actually stand in the position of power themselves. Um, I mean, every party has a women's way, right? Yes, I actually, um, my view is actually similar to Ms. Abinan's view. I do believe that um, the obstacles mentioned are um, somehow relevant still nowadays but my opinion my personal opinion is that i believe that the lack of natural uh, the lack of adequate resources and also education in terms of education the lack of education the lack of you know exposing the students the kids um, even from school about gender equality about how women are also able are capable to reach a higher position in the political in the political sphere i believe that 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 is lacking in our community today and even though, as you stated earlier, it's slowly changing, but it's slowly changing. It's not, um, it's not uh, revolving very quickly. So people are still adapting to the fact that women are able and capable to manage and lead, right? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. It's it's gonna take a while, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think I think kudos to women and and men who have allowed for that space to. Um, you know, for us to sort of grow and, and who are making the noise um, for for there to be some change of some sort. Yeah, true. A slow progress is still a progress. <laughs> All right. So the next one would be, it is undeniable that women face heavy scrutinization in whatever they do and that they will always have to outperform their male counterparts to prove that they are worthy of the position. So in light of this, do you have any suggestion as to how we could overcome this unwarranted prejudice against women so as to allow society to be more receptive towards the appointment of female leaders? Yeah, this is quite a tricky one because I think, first and foremost, we need a cultural change. We need a huge cultural shift. And this can only happen through representation um, and policy. Uh, and the reality of it is we are not seeing enough women in power because um, because a lot of men in power don't want to give up their positions to allow for diversity and even young blood. You know, uh, women and youth should have a place at the table, um, and and I feel like that is the first step uh, to actually making a change you know we can go from the bottom-up approach where it's you know we're trying to raise awareness educate everyone make sure grassroots understand gender equality but at the end of the day we need people at the top to realize that they need to create space um you know and and just just for like women youth um and to make it more diverse really so that everybody in Malaysia can benefit from better policies. Um, 
We also need stronger repercussions, I, I believe, for legislators who set uh, terrible examples by making sexist, racist remarks. Um, you know, there has to be a policy or, or legislation that ensures 30% or more um, the quota is reached uh, to, to bring women on board. And I think this must be like every party must have this policy. Um, and there should be, a, you know, a time frame for which someone could be a sitting politician or a sitting member of parliament, um, state legislator, uh, you know, so they don't occupy that space and they allow for um, women and youth to come in. Uh, we've signed international obligations, but these are constantly undermined uh, under the pretext that there aren't enough women to take up these roles. Um, but that's not really true. It's it's the fact that there aren't enough seats uh, being given up for women to come into these positions of power. Um, a lot more party and political funding, I think, has to move towards empowerment of women within the political structures and education. You know, we, we need to really move past this, having one or two or three, some parties maybe seven or eight token uh, representatives. Right, we need to really understand that women make 50% of the population. Um, women's issues are not just women's issues, it's actually everybody's issues. Um, and we really need to, to understand it in, in like a, not in a one dimensional way. Um, and then there's also, of course, the quota argument. So there is, um, there is a, a temporary special measure um, that is being utilized by the Penang state government. And it's um, something that was promoted by the Penang Women's Development Corporation. Um, and it's, it's a new interesting, um, interesting approach to ensuring that, uh, you know, we have more women in, in power, right? So it's called the Top Up uh, Women Only Additional Seats. Uh, and these are non-constituent seats. So essentially... Uh, when when the state legislative assembly doesn't reach 30% of women's representation, um, we, you will have a quota of seats, uh, a certain number of seats that you, you'll have um, women who have run in the election become part of the assembly. And they are not, uh, they are not based on constituencies. They, are, they will focus on more issue based for the whole of the state, um, which is a very interesting uh approach and I think this is something that potentially needs to be explored um, across the board uh, even at federal level uh, I think the Penang state government is moving towards um, <clears throat> their Penang 2030 vision and, and one of it is empowerment of women and this is why they're, they're uh, piloting this um, but yeah I think that is definitely another way to help overcome um, unwarranted prejudice against women, I suppose. Uh, I mean, it's very hard. I think it's the cultural change in particular. Um, you know, it, it, it takes uh, many different angles. You know, you have to work on it from many different forms. You have to work on it from, from the whole, right? Um, from education, uh, from top-down policies, uh, from how we even, you know, even local councillors do their their work and how they're elected to their roles yeah it's it's a long process
Yep. So um, to summarize what I have stated, to to overcome this unwarranted prejudice, there should be a major so a major culture change, and also in which that the woman should be given the woman and also the youth should be given a seat at the table as as equal as men are given the seats, and also there needs to be a stronger repercussion on the policies that have been you know thirty percent woman participation. It actually should be bring forth, not just. Um, you know, say say that there needs to be a thirty woman, a thirty percent woman participation. There actually thirty percent participations, right? And also, uh, the one the one that you said the top up additional seat for the woman in Penang, right? So I yeah, I also actually agree that that is a very good initiative then to make yeah. sure that the participation rate of women are actually increased in the political yeah. decision making. Yeah. All right, I think um. Sorry, just one last thing to add also. I think if political parties uh, were to make women's issues part of their manifesto, uh, to actually finally cater to women um, and engage with them, you will start to see that everybody will soon realise that, okay, well, they're not just a voter pool that we can bank on. These are people who, you know, they also need, or their lives can be affected by, by policy change and by manifestos. That will hopefully uh, be followed through with. So, yeah. All right. I do agree with that too. Okay. So, the next one, our second last question for today would be How would you encourage females to find their political voice? Oh. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, it's, I think it's important for us, for women to realize that cis heteropatriarchy will just not understand. Um, or care for some of the issues that affect the rest of us, uh, okay, half of the population. <laughs> um, and it's also just important to note that politics also does not just mean being an elected representative, right? You can be part of the, you know, part of politics or, or um, exercising your political right or um, amplifying your political voice, um, even if it's in grassroots mobilization. You know, even if it's in electoral voter education and awareness, you know, voluntary political commentary, um, voicing out your opinion, um, voicing out on injustice, holding people accountable. Um, I think you don't need to be an elected representative for that, um, but that is also, uh, you know, you using your political voice. Um, we have extremely high turnout rates actually when election happens. Um, in, in the sense that women come out to vote, a very high percentage of women come out to vote. Um, and that in itself is us having a political voice. So we must really find courage uh, in asking those who represent us um, the hard questions and then to also know that there is, to know and believe that there's a growing movement of young voters in Malaysia who want to see a completely different, diverse, more representative political landscape. and um, to also, you know, I think there, there can be a lot of fear around violence against women that occurs when we become vocal about uh, politics, about our lives, and to know that there are there is support, um, there are support groups, there are systems in place to protect you from violence like that. Um, it may seem very difficult, but then there are always groups that you can reach out to, uh, and so you know like there's so many there's so many ways to affect um 
change in Malaysia and political change, uh, apart from just being uh, elected representative. There's so many ways to um, speak out. There's so many ways to lift and amplify your political voice. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I, I urge, I think, all women to, you know, all genders to, to think about this and, and to do it with courage, and to know that they have support and, and you know, the security too, if if they need. There, there are groups of people, women, who are there to help. Yep, true. So not only that we're stressing on women getting on board with politics, we are also stressing that other things can also be done. Um, exercising your political rights as a woman um, and also amplifying your voice and count, um, you know, count people accountable for what they've done. Uh, that is also a part, that, a part of something that you can voice out your opinion and that's a part of your political voice, not only just entering the political um, spheres, right? And I believe that in regards to that, um, I believe that initiative done by UM team in collaboration with you, Ms. Abenaya tonight, would reach a lot uh, more females out there, our listeners out there, in knowing that not only that they have to enter the political uh, sphere to, you know, to make sure that women's rights are upheld, they can actually, they can actually also just, you know, exercise their own rights as women and also um, amplify their voice as women as well. All right. So finally, we've come at the end. Uh, the last question for tonight. All right. So lastly, do you have any good advice for women trying to enter the political scene? Um, <laughs> oh no, I think I kind of answered this in the previous question. <laughs> um, <laughs> but essentially, I think, um, you know, I think there is a real fear. Um, for women who are entering politics and it's important uh, you know to know that there are other women who even though we may not see them uh, and they're not always uh, you know given the spotlight um, who have shared those fears and who have uh, sort of confronted them in, in the ways that they can um, and it's it's very okay that if you're considering uh, joining politics or entering the political scene, it's actually very okay to just reach out to other women politicians that that you feel reflect your values um, that you feel represented by, um, and, you know. And I'm sure they'd be very happy uh, to help or to guide or to speak to you. Um, of course, some of them might be very busy. <laughs> But, you know, I, I, I think I would say don't hesitate to try it. Um, and even if you're too afraid to jump in with both feet, uh, you, you could dip your, your feet in the pool and try to, like, reach out to the various organizations. You, know, you have Makarakami, you have 111 Initiative, um, you have quite a few Aduns and, you know, even, even the Adun in your own uh, in your own constituency or the MPs in your own constituency, um, you know, reach out to them and and ask them what they're doing for women empowerment, and then let that inform your decision. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I hope that was okay. Um, I think that covered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Reach out to the people that can actually um, help you, and if you're afraid, don't be. And yeah, just don't hesitate. Yeah do it and yeah yeah and decide whether it's cup it's your cup of tea or not afterwards right yeah you know i like i think 
I think for a lot of women, it seems very daunting because it is a huge investment, right? It's a huge personal investment. You're constantly going to be publicly scrutinized. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I, I think that, like I said, there's room to do so much more. You could just sort of step in and do behind the scenes work to understand what it's really like and then get a better idea of whether this is something you want to do or not. Or maybe you could do it from behind the scenes where you're contributing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I know it's easier said than done. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people maybe choose to be non-partisan or they, you know, they want to be neutral. Um, but I think we all have a role to play in political change in Malaysia. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Ms. Opinaya, for answering all the questions really thoroughly and really, really well. Even for myself, moderating this session, it was really enlightening. It was, it was really enlightening and it opened my eyes a lot of uh, things I used to Thanks so much, Kamalin. It was such a, a, a joy to be here. I hope, I mean, you know, I think I've only just scratched the surface. <laughs> There's so much more um, to be discussed. And I hope you have another episode, you know, where you really look in depth into some of the processes that are there or lacking for women. All right, we hope that in the future we'll also have um, another episode, some sort of like that. All right, so with that, we have reached the end of our episode. Thank you so much, Ms. Abinaya, for spending your time with us today. We hope you enjoy our discussion of women in politics. Thanks for tuning in. So to catch who, to catch UM Constitutes latest activities, do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at UM Thank you and do stick around for the next episode. Bye-bye.